going to mark your place, if you would. I don't know if we'll... Uh, yeah, we should get there. Uh, I want you to mark... T- t- take something and stick it in Genesis... Back there in Genesis chapter 4, chapter 5, uh, we're going we're to be going back to that later in the message um, if we get there this morning. So I've got a, a place where if we need to, I can uh, actually um, land the plane this morning. Um, if not, we're going to work all the way through it. So we got about 10 till we're, 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 I think we're good on time. But uh, let's just turn our hearts again to the, to the Lord and focus on the Word of God right now before we lead into this. Father, thank you again for the blessing of being in your house. Thank you, Lord, for the encouragement to our hearts already this morning. And uh, it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. Now, Father, as we open up your Word, I pray that you'll, Father, just um, allow me to clearly communicate what you put on my heart this week. And, uh, Lord, just give me clarity in thought, clarity in speech. And, uh, Father, would you... Would you challenge us and speak to us? And Father, if there's areas that uh, we need to correct, may, may you use this, the, the word this morning to, to help us understand that and to see that and to make those corrections that are needed. Father, I just pray that you'll speak to our hearts and, and, and encourage us. And, and God, just do what needs to be done in each of us this morning. Father, uh, thank you for the blessing of being here. Thank you for this time now. Use it for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So here, here in... Uh, we're here in chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're, we're going to pick up at verse 18. We're going to try to get through 18 through 23 this morning. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and read that. Verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ and Christ is God's. Now, as we pick up there in verse 18, Paul continues here. He's dis- he continues discussing the, the divisive spirit that is prevalent in the Corinthian church. And we've seen that now all the way through the end of chapter 3. He's dealing with this divisive spirit that is in the church. I'm a Paul. I'm of Apollos. And they've, they've gotten into these groups. And they're, it's almost like political groups within the church. And they're divisive and they're fighting and there's problems. And, it's, and it's, he's just showing that it's a problem. We've already learned that it was a carnal spirit. When you look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, Paul makes it very clear that it's a carnal spirit that is driving this divisiveness and that the truth would be revealed at the judgment seat of Christ. He talks about that. He, he, he shares with us that all these things will be burned away. The things, look, the things we do for Christ will last. Everything else is going to burn away. So the only thing that matters, folks, is what we do for the Lord. Amen? And so we need, to, we need to focus on that. And Paul's kind of pointing us in that direction. And so it, it was also a contentious spirit. When you talk about these divisions, it wasn't that they had their favor. It was contentious in the way that they approached it. And so Paul's going to show us that. So the first point I would have, capital, capital I here, point number one, is, is, was just this, away with the deception. That would be what I'd say is point one, away with all deception. Paul begins by demanding that they do away with all deception. And he looks at, we look at that verses 18 through 20, and he shows them the foolishness of their self-deception. Again, verse 18, he says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Now, deceive there, that word deceive means to seduce wholly, to beguile, to deceive. 
Okay, so now we understand being deceived. Others will deceive us. We can be deceived by others. We can be beguiled. We think about being beguiled, how, how Satan came into the garden and, and through guile, through, through just a little truth mixed with a lot of lying, and he, he beguiled them. He deceived them in the garden. It goes all the way back to that. That's a terrible thing to be deceived. It's a terrible thing for others to deceive us. But folks, I think it's even worse when we deceive ourselves. Look, when we, when we have the availability to the answers and we deceive ourselves, you know, I, I, I've talked often about, you know, we have three enemies. This world system is an enemy. Satan is our enemy. But our, our flesh, our, our, our own flesh is an enemy. And, and you know, we, we can argue about which is the greater enemy. I think our flesh is the greatest enemy we have. What we talk to ourselves in our head is the, is the greatest problem that we have. If we hold the truth, these things outside can't force things upon us. But we will we'll beguile ourselves. We'll, we'll deceive ourselves. We'll convince ourselves that we're right or we're in the right or we're doing the right thing in spite of Scripture or whatever. We'll deceive ourselves. We'll be wholly uh, seduced. We'll beguile. And so Paul says, let no one deceive himself. And so the challenge here is to put away all this deception. Number one under that is the need to recognize self-deception. Now, folks, it's, that's not an easy task. It's not easy because if we've deceived ourselves, we, we often are trapped in that. We've, we've deceived ourselves. We've either, for whatever reason, we've bought into something and we've full hook, line, and sinker bought this and we've rationalized this and we've made this, you know, this is what it is. We need to recognize self-deception. We need to be able to recognize when we're deceiving ourselves in some truth. And the best way... If not, the only way is to read the Word of God with an open mind and a teachable spirit. Amen? That's how, if you want to get past being deceived, is to have an open mind and a teachable spirit as we read the Word of God so that the Holy Spirit Himself can reveal our self-deception to us. Because we're not going to, we're, you know, if you're deceiving yourself, you're not just going to one day wake up and go, oh, you know what? Nah, I've been deceiving myself. We need something to reveal that to us. We need something to show us, and that is the Word of God and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God working through the Word of God. After all, the Holy Spirit is the one who Romans 8.27 tells us He searches the hearts. So He knows our hearts. He knows what's going on within us. The Holy Spirit does. And He searches the Scriptures. We already looked in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If we go back there to verse 10, He says, But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. It's talking about the deep truths, these mysteries that are in the Word of God. But He reveals this to us, For the Spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. So listen, if you want to you get past being deceived about something, then you go to the Scriptures with an open mind and, and a teachable spirit. It's, it's as I pray often, is that we would come before this time, this preaching time, any teaching time, when we open the Word of God, that we would humbly come before the Word of God. Because if we don't come humbly, we're not going to receive what is given. You come humbly, and then that we would be obedient to respond to what God tells us. And that's the idea here, is that the Word of God is going to reveal it to us. So an illustration of that, maybe... There's a lot of different uh, ways you could you could voice this, but maybe maybe you've gotten ready. I'm gonna I'm gonna, this is gonna maybe be a little crass, but I'm gonna, it's it's one that's prevalent for me. Okay, so I'm gonna tell you. All right, when I put on blue jeans, okay, I zip and I buckle. It's it's button right, so a button. I snap my button. Okay, it's two movements. One, two. When I put on dress pants, there's a button and a hook and a zipper. It's three. 
That doesn't sound like a big deal. <laughs> Except I'm, a, I'm a, apparently a very routine guy. And I cannot tell you how many times I snap my button and I catch the little thing there and I don't zip up. <laughs> I have been in the pulpit and realized it. Now, I had a pulpit in Indiana where I could kind of hide that. I don't have that here. But a mirror would be really good at that point, wouldn't it? You think everything's good. You ever thought everything was good? You know, I'm good. I'm ready to go. And you get to the mirror and you look in the mirror and you go, oh, oh, I'm glad I looked in the mirror. Maybe there's a smudge on your face or, you know, maybe, you know whatever. I'm good. I've been out in the garage. I was just fiddling with that. And you've touched your face. You got a big old black smudge on your face or something. But you didn't see it. You thought everything was good. You need something to reveal that. And so when we look in that mirror, we look in the mirror, it reveals whatever that might be. If it's an imperfection on our, you know, our hair's out of place, our face is messed up, whatever it might be, it reveals it. And in an instant, you see the problem and you see how you can fix that, okay? And so that's the idea here. And James, James, remember, he gives us the idea of the word of God being like a mirror in chapter 1, verses 23. Where are y'all at in James? Aren't y'all going through James? You're done with James. Somebody's going through. Are y'all going through James? Nobody's going through James. I thought somebody was going through James. You're going through James. I knew somebody was. I thought I lost my mind. All right, where are y'all at in James? All right, you're past this already. So the Bible is like a mirror. And so James tells us in chapter 1, verse 23, says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes, him, observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. You look in the mirror, you see what's there, and you walk away. You forget about, oh, everything's good, you walk away, right? But, but, but the word of God, it, 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 we're just like that guy if we look in the mirror and we walk away. We're like the guy who is a, a hearer of the word and not a doer. So if you look in the mirror, oh, I got a smudge on my face. And you just go about your business. You don't worry about fixing it. The mirror is going to reveal the problems. But the mirror also shows you how you can fix that. And so when he, does, he says in verse 25, he says, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed for what he does. And so the word tells us, you know, you come, you look in that mirror. When we see a problem in the mirror, we're going to fix that. We're, we're pretty vain, right? You know, if we, we got some problem, we look in the mirror. We're going to fix that. We're not going to leave just, I don't know, I've been to Walmart. Maybe people will. Um, maybe they don't care. Maybe they don't look at it. Maybe they don't own a mirror. I don't know. But, um, but generally, you're going to see the problem and you're going to correct it. And when we come, look, when we come with an open mind and a teachable spirit before the Word of God, it's like a mirror. And it reveals us. We shouldn't read the word in God and go, oh, yeah, boy, so-and-so ought to read that verse. I think I'll text that to him this morning. No, we should read the word of God, and it should reveal to us. It is looking in that mirror, and spiritually, the word of God is going to show us where we're at. It's going to show us those imperfections, those problems. It's going to show us what we are like, warts and all. Amen? All the, all the imperfections, all the things. And it's going to tell us how to correct those things that are wrong. And that's what the word of God does. Now, in the Old Testament, 
Before the priests were sent into the sanctuary to minister, they had to pay a visit to the brazen laver. And if you studied there in Exodus, you would, you've read through this, and, and maybe you read it because i got to read it. You know, I'm reading through, and you'd blow through here. But it's some interesting things in here. So in verse 8 of chapter 38 in Exodus, it tells us that the laver was made of brass or bronze, and its base was made uh, of, the, of the looking glasses of the women. So it, this, it's a polished brass, okay? So when the, the idea is when they approach it, it's going to reveal imperfections. Now, they would have come at that time. They've been sacrificing. Perhaps they're covered in blood or whatever, and they're going to come to this, this laver, and it's, then it's filled with water. And there's mirrors that are going to reveal the imperfections, and there's water there to cleanse yourself. And that water is another symbol for the Word of God. Folks, when we come before the Word of God, it's going to reveal those imperfections. It's going to reveal those things that we need to change. That's why it's so important that we as believers read the Word of God. If the only time we get into the Word of God is when Raymond's teaching or John's teaching or, or Rusty's teaching or we come into the service, it's the only time we hear the Word of God preached, we hear it taught, we hear it read. If that's the only time, we're missing out on so much because the Holy Spirit of God is with us all the time. He's this great teacher he, he teaches us. He can, and, and so he's searching the word. And as we read the word, he's searching the word. Not that he's looking for things he didn't know. He knows it all. He's searching those truths. And he knows our hearts because he searched our hearts. And he'll show you in there what you need. Amen. He'll reveal that to you. So it's so important. So the word of God does that. It'll reveal the defilement and the water. Just like with these priests, the, the mirrors would reveal the defilement and the water would remove that defilement. That's what the word of God does for us. It reveals a defilement in our lives spiritually and then the water, the word of God, will remove that defilement. When we see how do we need to respond and we turn to the Lord, we confess those things and we get it right with him. We make those things right. So the word of God has this double action of revealing and removing. Verse John 1 8 says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So you go, you know, I don't have any sin. I, 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 God bless his heart. He's, uh, Gina will know who I'm talking about. She's not in here, but Gina would know exactly who I'm talking about. Well, I had a pastor one time who told me that he, he had thought he had gone three days without sinning. Y'all laughed like I did because I thought, I've ridden in a car with you. There is no way. There is no way you haven't sinned. He's the one who told me that if it were legal for him to carry hand grenades, he would. Just for the interstate. People, man, they're driving too slow. He wanted to chuck hand grenades at them. But he went three days. Um, I think that's a, a, maybe a situation where we're deceiving ourselves. And we think, well, I don't have any sin. Maybe that's one of the ways we deceive ourselves we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So Paul's telling us, he's telling them, but he's telling us, look, you gotta, you gotta remove this, this deception, this self-deception. You are deceiving yourselves. Again, verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may, be, may, be, may become wise. So here's the deal. Self-deception, when we're self-deceiving, it dies hard. It, it, it's like a lot of the things of, of the flesh. The flesh wants what it wants, right? I, I want what I want. 
I was talking with someone this morning. I want what I want. When I want what I want, man, it's hard for to convince me otherwise because I've convinced myself that this is okay because this is what I like to do. I'm justifying. I'm maybe justifying my behavior or whatever. So when there's a self-deception, we're deceiving ourselves in some area, that's a hard thing to get past, a hard thing to correct. But Paul says we've got to, and Paul recommends that when we see what fools that we have been in our self-deception, we go to the other extreme and become fools in the eyes of the world. That's what we need to do. Don't be a, don't be a fool in, 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 because, you know, in God's eyes because you're doing what's wrong. You're deceiving yourself. But get that corrected and become a fool in the eyes of the world by wholeheartedly embracing the absolute wisdom of God's word. That's what we're to do. We are to make ourselves a fool in this world so that I can become wise with godly wisdom, with biblical wisdom, with, with what God would reveal and doing it his way. Amen? Now, some of you would know, uh, you know the name, uh, if, I, if I give the name Jim Elliott, raise your hand if you know who I'm talking about. Okay, Nate Saint. Roger, I think it's Roger Uterin, Udarian, something like that. Anybody recognize that name? I know those three. I don't know the other two names, and I should know. Well, on January 8th, 1956, there were five men who were killed. They were martyred. They were murdered in Ecuador. And they were down there trying to reach the Alca Indians. They were a savage uh, group that were in the jungles there in Ecuador. And, and, you know, they were the ones who were, they were, as oil companies were going in the jungles and different things, these Alca would go and they would attack them and they would kill people. And they were, they were savages. I mean, even the other tribes talked about them as a savage people. Well, this group of five, Jim Elliott, one of those, they, they wanted to go in and minister to those people. And, and so they, they did. And, you know, what's, what's sad is after they, were, after they were martyred, there were a lot of people who took the attitude of, you know, what, what was the purpose of that? What a waste that was. That's the world's mentality. That's the world's idea of that. See, these guys, these guys who had been to college, they were, they were well-trained. They had all of life before them. They had promising careers calling them. And they turned their backs on the world to devote themselves instead to the evangelization of a remote and barbarous Indian tribe. That's what they wanted to do. That's what God called them to do, and they answered the call to do that. But the world says that's, that's a waste. It's not just the world. If you remember Matthew 26, verse 7, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask, a very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head and he sat at the as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? See, we, we would say the world talks about, you know what, we, we can have that same attitude that, man... Why, why are you doing that? Why are, why are you going to the mission field? Why are you serving God? Why are y'all of that? Man, you're young. You're smart. You guys got the whole world. You got the world by the tail. Why are y'all going off to the mission field? What a waste. That's the world's mentality. And you know what? If we're not careful, the, the, that mentality comes into the church. And there are people in the church who pour cold water on what God's doing in somebody's life in, in, in being called to the mission field. It's a waste. That was the idea of the world. It's a waste. And their reward for going down there was that they died early. And they died a violent death at the hands of the people, the very people that they sought to reach. But Jim Elliott had an answer. Even before his death, he had an answer for those who would be negative after his death. Because Jim Elliott said this. 
He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliot understood that this is about eternity. This is about eternal souls. This is about going and reaching these lost people. And I am willing to give my life. Jim Elliot has said, I am willing to die for these people. He was convinced in his heart that that's what God had called him to. It was not a flippant decision on his part or the other four men or their spouses or their children. It wasn't a flippant decision to go down there and, and, and pursue these people. It was that they believed God called them to do it and they answered the call. And Jim Elliott said, I'm not pursuing the things of the world. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, things of this world, to gain what he cannot lose. And if you know the rest of the story, it's an amazing story. Uh, Elizabeth Elliott, uh, Jim Elliott's wife, after that, she went and she made contact with those people. And uh, she ended up being invited into the village. And through her work in that village, the majority of that village was one to Christ. Those people were turned, it was turned around. Because you're not going to change them with, with good, good works and good deeds. Aren't going to necessarily, it's not going to make them good people just because there's good things. There has to be a heart change. Amen? And she went in and she just loved on them. And, and, and can you imagine that? The people who killed her husband and those other four, she went in and loved on those people. That's an amazing, it's an amazing story. But that's the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would have said. The rest of the story. God used that. Even that tragic thing, and we look at it and we go, well, why did God let that happen? You know, we don't know if, if those men had not been martyred that the door might not have been open for the gospel. We don't know. But I know this, the five men did die, and God did use that to open the door in that village for the gospel, and a multitude of them came to faith in Christ. It's a great thing. Folks, listen, we deceive ourselves when we ignore Scripture, when we twist Scripture, when we deny Scripture, or, or this is the, the good one, when we justify and excuse ourselves contrary to Scripture. You know, I always think about that lawyer who was talking to the Lord, and, and Scripture said, seeking to justify himself. He's, he's arguing with the Word of God. He's arguing with the Son of God about the Word of God and about truths of Scripture because he wanted to justify himself. Wow, we do that so often. We argue. The Word says, I, I've heard people say this. Well, I don't care what the Bible says. Stand back. I don't want to be too close to you. Um, that's, the, that's a dangerous thing when we justify and excuse ourselves contrary to Scripture because we're so wise we're so wise, aren't we? I mean, we're so smart. We've got it all figured out. You know, the Lord, the Lord, the scriptures make it clear we're like sheep. You know, sheep are dumb as dirt, okay? Sheep are dumb as dirt. Now, I'm not calling y'all dumb. I'm not calling us dumb. But the Lord did, okay? So, you know, when we, when we think we're so wise, what we're really saying is, you know what, God, I'm smarter than you. I know this is what you said. I know this is what you, you, the boundaries you set up. You told us to do this and not to do that. And it's not prohibitions to, to, to be a killjoy. It, it, it's there for our good. It's for our good. I've shared, the, I've shared the story years ago about a study they did with elementary schools. It had to be a long time ago because 
All the schools have fences now. But there was a time where they didn't have fences there, and the kids would go out to play. And what they found was with no fence up, the kids tended to congregate closer to the teachers and closer to the school. And uh, when they put the fence up, the kids would go out and play in the whole playground because the fence gave them boundaries. It told them where it was safe. God has done that with his word. He set up the boundaries that things we should do and things that we shouldn't do. Those are there for our good, folks. And we shouldn't be deceiving ourselves with that, okay? So that's point one. The second point is this. Paul points out that he points out the futility of, of self-deception. Verse 19 and 20. Now, first thing is you'll see is that, that God sees right through the craftiness of men. Amen? He sees right through it. Uh, verse 19, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And that quote comes from the book of Job. And, and in Job 5, 13, it says, he catches the wise in their own craftiness and the counsel of the cunning comes quickly upon them. And those remarks were made by Eliphaz and it was in his first speech. And he's suggesting right there, he's saying that Job, the reason this has come upon you is that God catches Okay, and that catches is it's the ideas he snags with his hand that that boy Job, what a sinner Job must have been in their mind for all that came upon him. But we know that wasn't the case, right? The scriptures tell us that Job vigorously defended himself. I don't if there's sin in my life, I don't know it. Somebody show me because I don't know it. I I try to live right. I confess to God. I'm, I keep my relationship right with Him. I don't know of these things. We know, we have the luxury of knowing that he, he wasn't in sin. God had said three times he was a, he was a righteous man. He was upright and he, he, shunned, he loved God, feared God and shunned evil. And God says that three times. So we know that it wasn't, Job didn't have sin in his life. But the idea that Eliphaz had is that God catches those in their craftiness, those that are in sin. He snags them with his hand. And that's what this verse tells us in, in, in what what. What Paul is saying is he catches the wise in their own craftiness because God does do that. That wasn't the situation with Job, but that's the same word, the same idea as he'll snag them with his hand, the grasp with the hand. And that word only occurs right here. And the word for craftiness, uh, it's always used in, in a bad sense, and it suggests unscrupulous conduct. So, for the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God is written. He catches the wise in their own craftiness. Look, when we're being crafty, this crafty, it's unscrupulous conduct. This divisiveness was unscrupulous conduct. This, this, this political party breakup, this, this is my guy, this is your guy. We're, we don't like each other now. We're fighting because of this. That divisiveness was craftiness. It was unscrupulous conduct. And Paul made it very clear that God will catch them. He will grasp them in his hand in, 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 their, in their conduct here. Jesus instantly saw through the plot and the schemes of his enemies when they asked him if it was lawful for a Jew to pay taxes imposed by Rome. Luke says this, he says, but he perceived their craftiness. There's that word again, that craftiness, their unscrupulous conduct. He perceived it and said to them, why do you test me? So the Lord understood, he sees this, and this is what Paul is talking about. So Paul reminds the crafty ones at Corinth that they, uh, that they had God to reckon with and that, that God could see right through all their schemes. You weren't tricking God. You're not, you're not getting by him. You need to get this right. 
Stop deceiving yourselves and thinking that this is okay. Stop rationalizing this because God sees right through your craftiness. And also God sees through the clever men. 1 Corinthians 3.20, it says, And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. The thoughts of the wise. Now, that's almost, um, that wisdom there is the worldly wisdom. Those who think themselves wise, those who have that all figured out, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. And this comes from Psalm 94, verses 9 through 11. He who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? He who instructs the nation, shall he not correct? He who teaches man knowledge... The Lord knows the thoughts of man, for they are futile. And that word futile means this. It means void of results. The the wisdom of man, these thoughts of man, the thoughts of the wise, they are futile. They are void of results. That's what God says about it. And we can conclude that the the Cephas party and the Paulian party and the Paulus parties were all indulging in craftiness and were promoting cleverness. And God saw right through it. Neither party had God's blessing. Now, that's not to say these men didn't have God's blessing. Paul, Cephas, had God's blessing. Peter, uh, 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 Paul and Peter and Apollos all had God's blessing. God was using each of these men. But these men who now have put these guys on a pedestal and this is my guy and this is my guy and this is my guy, God wasn't blessing that. He wasn't blessing what they were doing. What they were, what they were trying to accomplish would come to nothing and would be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. And Paul's telling them, you got to stop deceiving yourselves. you got to get this straightened out. Again, verse 30, and again, the, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Now, they, they have their thoughts, their thoughts. And that word there is uh, diagaloismoi. And it sounds like dialogue, right? It's more of dialogue than it is. The sound of that word is more like dialogue than it is of thoughts. But thoughts are dialogue in our head, right? When when we're thinking, you're having a dialogue in your head. It may be a monologue. It might be a dialogue. For for most of it's a monologue. For some of us, it's it's a dialogue. For others, it's a multiple-person conversation. And listen, don't judge because we have a great time. Okay? So they, they had their thoughts. And, and, and they had their reasonings, okay? So that's what they were doing. And they could pile up all the kinds of clever arguments. And this word is used by the Lord in the parable in Luke 20, 14, where it says, but when the wine, when the vine dresser saw him, they reasoned among themselves saying, this is the heir, come let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. It's the same word here, the thought, this reasoning. They could pile up all the reasons that Paul was the best. It's who we have to follow. They could run out of Apollos. We can can give you all the reasons that this is the way it should be. Everybody should be following him, not Paul. We should get rid of Paul. Paul, yeah, he started the church, but but Peter, you know, Peter, no, 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 not those two guys. It should be Peter's. And so they're fighting about this, and it's this wisdom, and they're reasoning. They're piling up this worldly reasoning, this dialogue. In Luke 12, 17, the Lord used the word to describe the logic of the rich fool who, who planned to build bigger and better barns, not knowing that his time had run out. Let's tear them down. We'll build bigger and bigger barns. Mm. So will be required of you. 
Paul evidently thought that the divisive schemes of the Corinthians was equally as vain or futile. That's what he thought. Now, put the, put the plow deeper. Here we go. Paul said, he said, away with the deception. Stop deceiving yourselves. But then he says, the second point here is this, away with all distinctions. Away with all distinctions. That's verse 21 through 23. We'll look at the last part here. He tells us what is expected of us. And the first part of verse 23 says, therefore let no one boast in men. Okay? That's what they were doing, right? They were boasting in men, and it was creating division in the church. It was a problem. And, and, And so I don't know where I've heard this. Maybe I've created this. Uh, but, but here's best I can put this quote together, or it might be a new quote. I don't know. All us men at our best are, after all, only men. Amen? So all us men at our very best, I could put that, at our very best, are, after all, only men. The best of us as men, we're just men. And we need to get back to the Word of God and not be overly concerned with men Uh, who, even when greatly used of God, are still just men. Amen? Amen. Men are weak. We're weak. We're given to error. We're able to fall. And flaws can be found in all of us. Amen? Amen. Every one of us. And so we have to be careful we don't get into this. This is kind of idol worship. We start putting putting people up on a pedestal. And, And if you're on Twitter or any of those other social media and you follow certain guys, you'll find that. You'll find guys that are tearing, trying to tear this guy down, and you'll find guys that are just building him up because he is the greatest guy to ever put feet on, shoes on. I mean, he's the greatest. It's just the greatest. This guy, everything right. I don't care if he's been pastoring for 8,500 years. He's still a man. He's still a man. Abraham was a great man uh, who earned the title friend of God, but he failed when he went down to Egypt and again when he went to Philistia. Moses was a great man, but he failed when he smoked the rock the second time. David was a great man, but he failed when he seduced Bathsheba. He murdered her husband, and again when he numbered Israel. Calvin was a great man, but you know, he was not against burning his enemies at the stake. Luther was a great man, but he, uh, he never did see clearly the error of Rome's doctrine of substantiation, or transubstantiation. He never, really, he, never, he never got that. He was a great man, but he never got to that truth. We all have feet of clay. And, and it's best not to glory, listen, in any man. It's best not to glory in them. Now, you, you miss a lot. I, I think a pastor is a good thing. I, I've only been a pastor for, for four years, but I've had a pastor since I've been a Christian. And I've loved my pastors. And they're a good thing. But what I learned is you don't put pastors on a pulpit. Oh, um, you better put them in a pulpit. You don't put them, you don't put them on a, uh, what am I saying? Pedestal. Right. That one. Look, I really got hurt years ago. I learned this, I learned this, I think it was before Gene and I got married. We were, we were already dating. But I had a pastor that I really did. I kind of put him, it's on me. Listen, if, you, if, you, if, a, if, a, if a pastor hurts you, I'm going to tell you this. Hear me now. It's on you. Because I can fail, but don't put me on a pedestal to the point that if I fail, it shatters your faith. Do not do that. Don't do that with any man. So as a young, as a young guy before I married, I, I had a pastor who I put up on a pedestal. And, and we had a situation 
I had a situation. I know it was before Jean and I were married because it was a, another girl. So that was okay. Now, yeah, that one that comes clear real quick. So, yeah, it wasn't after we were married. I promise you that. Uh, so anyway, we had this situation, and he basically he the advice he gave me. He told me, he said, "Look, you've just got to swallow your pride, humble yourself, and go and make that right. You got to apologize and make that right." And I'm like, oh, "Man, that's I don't like that counsel." But I did it. And, and it, and it, as best it could, it rectified and fixed the situation. Well, we had a situation that later that happened actually with her father who was struggling in his faith, and he got offended by the pastor. And, the, and I went to the pastor, and I talked to him, and I said, Pastor, this is the advice you gave me. He said, you know, and he took this stance of, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not apologizing. I don't have anything to apologize for. I said, it doesn't matter. I said, remember the conversation we had where I really didn't do anything wrong, but someone was mad and put off on me because of something I did not do. But you said, suck it up, humble yourself, go and apologize and make it right. And I did that. I said, why aren't you doing that? He wouldn't do it. And it shattered me because I held him very highly. Now, it shouldn't have, it, it, Still, he should have done right. But he didn't do right. And when he didn't do right, it should not have shattered me. I held him too highly. Amen? Don't do that. When you should respect your pastor. You should love your pastor. You should pray for your pastor. Okay? Love your pastor. Okay? Please. I want you to love your pastor. Your pastor is a gift from God, hopefully. I pray that I'm a gift of God from God for you. We all have feet of clay, and we all, we all can mess up. So it's best not to glory in men. Verse uh, 21, verse B. Then Paul begins with our possessions in Christ. That's what he's going to talk about now, verse 21 through 23. And, and he's kind of helping us to understand why we don't... First thing, he's going to, we're going to see why we don't show favoritism to one guy. Look at what he says. Um, they're magnificent, magnificent possessions that he's telling us here. But he says, for all things are yours. For all things are yours. What does he mean by that? And, and he, says, he says in verse 21, Therefore let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Romans 8, 17, if, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So who owns everything? God does. But if you're a follower of God, if you're a, if you're a child of God, if you're a born-again believer, then we're joint heirs with Christ, which means every, we own everything. We share in everything. You know, it, do you get that? you understand that? So the idea, look at what Paul's telling us now. He, he, so what Paul's saying is, why look anywhere else once you've looked at Christ? Once you have a relationship with Christ, why are you looking at these other things to put up on a pedestal or to claim that or grab that? Now remember, there in Corinth, it, they would have grasped onto things because it would have helped them in society. So they had this idea, this idea brought in into the church that if, I, if I'm with the right people, it's going to help me in, in, in society. And they've now brought that into church. Well, I'm going to latch on with Paul because Paul's, Paul's the best. And I'm going to latch on with him. And, it's, and that was wrong. It's not what it should be. So look at the things which Paul goes through now teaching what are ours. He says, no matter who, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, all are yours. 
You know, there were those who liked Paul because of his strengths and accomplishments. There were those who liked Apollos Apollos because of his style. Uh, They listened spellbound when he spoke. And those who liked Cephas because of his stand. He stood for the old paths. He did it the old way. You know, I don't want to change those things. Paul, Paul was saying, here's what he said. He said, but we are all yours. It's not a case of, of this one, that one, or the other one. All are yours. Okay? So uh, all were gifts from God to the believers in Corinth and everywhere, and it's the same today. So we have, we have great preachers out there. Now, I'm going to tell you, John MacArthur's a great preacher. I, I mess with Fred. Fred, are you back there? I picked on Fred one day, and so he, he I, was, I was just joking, but... Not really. <laughs> kind of joking. He come, Fred will come in and he'll tell me, he'll tell me, hey, I heard this great message this week. It was John MacArthur. Hey, I heard this great message. You need to listen to it. It's John MacArthur. And I said, man, you've never said that about one of my messages. And, and I know what Fred was thinking. He was like, as soon as you preach a great message, I'll say that. As soon as you do. But MacArthur does it all the time. Listen, don't come in here and the only preaching you ever get is me. Don't do that. Get on the radio. Find MacArthur. Find Alistair Begg. Find these guys that just are preaching the truth of the Word of God. Hear a different voice. Make sure they're sound in their scriptures and their teaching. Man, it's good to be in Raymond's class. Good to be in John's class. Good to, it's, good, it's good to be in Rusty's class. <laughs> you need it. We need to hear. And we're all a gift. Hopefully, I'm a gift from God. Raymond's a gift from God. John's a gift from God. Rusty's a gift from God. MacArthur's a gift from God. Alistair Begg's a gift from God. These guys, they're gifts from God for all of us. We don't have to get in one camp and put a tent, you know, put the the, the flag down and go, this is my guy, and every single thing he says, I'm going to blindly follow. Please don't do that with me or anybody. Go search the scriptures. Go search for scripture. So it doesn't matter. All are yours. All these are gifts from God that he's given. So it doesn't matter who. It doesn't matter where. It says, or the world. Now, this world, this physical universe belongs to believers, and God is going to remake the universe, the heavens and the earth, and believers are going to inherit it all. Amen? Amen. So it doesn't matter who. It doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter what. It says, or life or death. Now, life and death, they're ours. They belong to us. I want you to understand this. Only the believer knows how to live. Amen? See, go, go back to Genesis. Flip back to Genesis now. This is where we're going to look at this. In Genesis 4 and 5, the Holy Spirit contrasts the descendants of Cain and the descendants of Seth. So we're going to, look at, we're going to really look at chapter 5. I'm going to highlight a couple of things here. But the picture is this. If you, if you, if, when the Lord here in verse 16 of chapter 4, He gives us, the Holy Spirit gives us the ungodly line of Cain. And, and, and if you're going to picture Cain's people, when you read through that, what he does, he takes you into the market. He shows you the great cities that they build, and they're filled with the fruits of science and art and industry and all of these things. And, and to show us Seth's kind of people, the Holy Spirit takes us into the morgue. You go, preacher, that don't, what? Look, all down through the chapter we read, he died and he died. Cain's people lived for this world. 
When we read there from verse 16 down to verse 24, and he's talking about the, the godless line, the ungodly line of Cain, it's all about what they're doing. They're living this life. We don't even, we see they begot, they begot, begot. We don't see anywhere where it says they live. They lived, they lived, and we don't record, it's not recorded where they died. You know, it just doesn't matter. It's just not important. The Holy Spirit didn't record that at all. But you get to chapter 5, and look what we see. See, Seth's people, Cain's people lived for this world. Seth's people, the godly line of Seth, those people lived for the world to come. That's who they were living for. But death wasn't the end. It simply opened the gate of glory to let them in. If you look at chapter 5, just look with me real quick. Verse 7 says, Seth lived. End of verse 8, and he died. Verse 10, Enos, Enos lived. End of verse 11, and he died. Verse 12, Canaan lived. End of verse 14, and he died. Verse 15, Mahaliel lived. Verse 17, end of 17, and he died. 18, Jared lived. Uh, verse 20, end of 20, and he died. 21, Enoch lived. Now, Enoch did not die because he was not, for God took him. We know that, but he, he lived. He lived. Enoch lived 65 years. Then Methuselah lived in verse 25, the end of 27, and he died. Verse 28, Lamech lived, end of verse 31, and he died. We see that whole line there. They lived and they died, and it's recorded, and it's important, and it's, it, it, they weren't living for this world. They lived. See, the thing that's recorded there is not just that they died, but that they lived. Each one of them, it says, he lived. Cain's crowd thought they were living with their music and dancing and with their great cities, their civilization, their commerce, and their many inventions, but the Holy Spirit didn't think so. The Holy Spirit didn't record that they lived. And surely those, those Cainites... They, they looked at the Sethites with disdain for their quiet, separated, godly lives. And you can almost hear them, prayer meetings, preaching, fellowship picnics. You call that living? The Holy Spirit did. The Holy Spirit said it, that they lived. See, life is ours. Amen. Life is ours. Only the believer has the secret to life. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundant. John 10, 10. No one has any control over the circumstances of this life. Amen? We don't have any control over those circumstances. One person is born a beggar. Another is a born a billionaire. One person is born as beautiful as a goddess. Another is born as ugly as a goblin. You know, one person is, is born with a great intellect. Another with a great challenge. They're born with great challenges. No matter the circumstance, when we are born again, we receive the gift of life. Amen? Amen? So we, we know what life is. We as believers, we know how to live and we have life. Fanny Crosby, how many of you are familiar with Fanny Crosby? Wrote many of our hymns today that we'll sing, our Fanny Crosby hymns. Fanny Crosby, when she was six years old, got a cold. Her doctor prescribed uh, some type of a hot mustard paste, I guess, to put on her chest. Now, I guess that was common. I think it's still common in some that do things like that. But anyway, whatever he did, whatever that doctor prescribed, it blinded her. At six weeks old, Fanny Crosby was blinded. Some of you may not have known that. She was blind. Her whole life she was blind. But here's what happened. She came to know Jesus and he turned tragedy into triumph. Fanny Crosby learned to live and she became a blessing to millions. She lived. 
She didn't lament her situation in life. She was a follower of Jesus Christ, and she lived. She learned how to live, and she knew she was going to live forever. Death was just the door that would bring her sight back and her, her, her glorified body and presence of God Almighty. She lived. She wrote, she was the hymn writer of the church of her day, and her hymns were sung in great revivals under D.L. Moody and Ira Sankey. So she did great things, and her, she wrote as her testimony. This was her testimony. All the way my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know whate'er befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. That's from a woman who lost her sight, who never would have no memories of being able to see anything. Six weeks lost her sight. She understood. She knew how to live. Life is ours. Death is ours. We're free from death. Amen? It, it's, we're not slaves to death. 1 Corinthians 15, 54. So when this corruption has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying which is, that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Amen? Amen? Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory over death, folks. Amen. Death is ours. No matter when, it says, or things present or things to come. The things present, you know what? Our current circumstances in life, they're, they're really, if we'll understand this, life will get a whole lot better. When we understand that our circumstances in life are a gift from God, they're a gift from God. He knows it's all been thought out. He knows what's going on in our lives. These things, he's using this. Listen, he is too loving to be unkind and too wise to make any mistakes. You know, we just, we had good news this week. I shared with y'all that Gina, we've been praying about test results on Gina's mass on her thyroid. I've been praying about that, not worried about that, but praying about that. It comes back, it's benign. But I'm going to tell you this. It, 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 it would have changed things a little, obviously. But I'm going to tell you, it, it wouldn't change my outlook on life or the Lord if that had come back as cancerous. We just hunkered down and focused on, all right, what do we do now? And we would trust that the Lord had a plan in whatever, whatever he's doing, whatever he allowed. He knows, right? He either brings it or allows it if it's happening in our lives. When we learn that, we embrace that, that God is in control. He knows just what we need. He knows all about us. Whether things present, including facing a horrible boss or a lost loved one or a financial crisis or a serious illness, he has it all under his control. Amen? Folks, as believers, when we get to a place where we embrace that, that things present are ours. God is at work in that. He's using it. We don't have just these, oh, man, circumstances of life are so terrible. You know, the, the, it's just, you know. no, God is in control. He's in control. Peter learned when he tried to walk on water and he sank that things which were over his head were all the time under the master's feet. He learned. And that's what we got to learn. You know, if I, you know, some, some would say, oh boy, that's terrible. Preacher got hit by a truck today. He's, he's dead. Man, that's just terrible. I can't believe it. That's what a waste. If God allowed that in my life, that was his plan for my life. 
And you know what he's going to do? He's going to help Gina through it. He's going to help Jesse through it. He's going to help Jordan through it. He's got a plan for this church. He's going he's to do all those things. That's what we have to learn to embrace. There is no, there is no oh, I can't believe God didn't know that was going to happen. No, there's a plan. Embrace that. We embrace that. Things present are ours. And when we do that, we can have confidence that he's in control. Man, and when he's in control, that's who you want in control, amen? Pastor Aaron, you guys can come forward. Also, things to come. In this life and in the life to come, there are uh, all are ours. And we can face the things to come, not just with courage, but with confidence. Here, here's why death doesn't scare me. Maybe the way I go might scare me, but death doesn't scare me. I'm not scared of passing from this life into eternity because I am absolutely 100% sold out belief of where I'm going to spend eternity. Because I have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I have placed my faith in Him and Him alone. I have confidence. I have confidence in things to come. Not just courage for the things to come. No matter who, no matter where, no matter what, no matter when, all things are ours. So these are our possessions. And we wrap up right here with, with Paul because he says, not only is it our possessions, but here is our position. Verse 23, and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. What more could be said than that? You are Christ's and Christ is God's. Here, right here, we have total, absolute and eternal security. We all have an, an end to all mere party policies. We've got to put an end to that. This party politics, these party, these party divisions, what Paul is talking about here with them, that was the deal. Folks, it may not be party politics with us, but it may be a sin that we are deceiving ourselves about. Maybe something in our lives that we've deceived ourselves about. We need to get into the Word of God and get it right with God. Because not only does it affect you, but it will affect our church. We don't want to have it affect our church. Amen? Amen. We are Christ, and Christ is God's. This morning, the invitation is simple. If you, don't, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never come to that place where you've confessed your sin to Him, you've acknowledged that you're hopelessly lost in, in your sin and come to that place of, of repenting of sin and turning to Christ. Look, the Lord, the Lord Jesus wasn't waiting on you to say, man, I need a way to get to heaven to come die for you. 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sin. He took our place. He took our, when I say our, he took your place. He took my place on that cross. The penalty has been paid. And he calls you now to repentance and faith. Will you turn from your sin? Will you turn to him and trust in him only? Placing your faith in him. If you've not done that, I invite you today to come forward. We'd love to take the word of God and share that with you. But the altar's open. And I, I tell you again, this is, this is an altar, okay? These are not steps. They look like steps. But these are not steps right now. This is an altar. And this is a place to come and talk to God. And maybe, maybe through something that's been said this morning, the Lord has spoke to your heart. And, and it may have nothing to do with what I said this morning. But I know that the word of God turns, doesn't return void. And when the word of God is preached, the Holy Spirit of God is working. And he may be speaking to your heart on something totally different. Maybe this morning there's somebody that's, there's a burden on your heart for someone. You want to come and pray for them. 
that they'll get saved. Maybe, maybe there's a, a, a situation in your life that, man, you just need God's hand on. This altar is a great place to come and talk to God. Deal with whatever it is he's dealing with you on. Deal with it now. Deal with it here. Whatever God's doing in your life, humbly and obediently, respond. If you'll stand.